Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, God is one. Amen. The Feast of Epiphany is the feast day celebrating the reality that Jesus Christ is God made flesh and and that that reality is news that spreads into the world and transforms it. I have a, a bit of a scruple because I'm, I don't know, a, a nerd and I, I think uh, overthink probably things too much. Um, but I consider the feast of, and I don't think I'm alone in this, I consider the feast of the Annunciation the true feast of the incarnation of God, because that is the moment when God, the uncreated, enters the womb of the Virgin Mary and becomes a little diploid and zygote and embryo and fetus and grows and grows in Mary's womb into this baby. And the incarnation of God begins then. And we celebrate that on March 25th. And throughout the year, there's a secret, silent, pregnant growth happening. And that growth begins to really show in the season of Advent. And that's when we start preparing our hearts because we sense and know that something is coming. And then that incarnate God is first brought into the world to be seen by people on Christmas, which is why we celebrate with such joy on Christmas, the incarnation of God. But only a few people knew what was going on on Christmas. The Holy Family, uh, the angels in heaven, and a handful of shepherds nearby. And that's it. So the Feast of Epiphany is the feast that first celebrates this monumental, history-changing reality, being known to people outside the small group of people who are essentially Jesus' immediate family. How did this happen? How did the reality that God entered the world start to spread as news into that world? Well, in a way that no one would have predicted. <laughs> this is what I love about the Christian faith, and this is what, you know, it's just so full of things that are no one would have scripted this. No one would have written this. Our, our most creative writers would never have come up with this, especially no one in the ancient world trying to spin some fabrication. Our faith is a true story because the weirdest things happen, things that are weird enough to be real. <laughs> you know how reality is, is weird? Well, this is the, the exact kind of weird thing that is real. The way that God is first brought up in the world as news is by people who lived in Persia many, 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 many miles to the east of Jerusalem, uh, in, in Judea, where Jesus uh, was, was born in Bethlehem. And they saw, of all things, a star in the sky that alerted them that not just a king, like Herod was a king of Judea, but that the king, the king of the people who are the Jews, had to have been born. And 
we don't know what exactly they saw in the sky. We don't know exactly how they knew to interpret it as the king of the Jews being born. But that's what happened. Somehow in this world, throughout the, the movements of people and their passing along of traditions and the things that they uh, discover or discern in uh, signs and wonders in, in the skies, a group of people from Persia, Magi, uh, the Bible calls them, that is, these educated men who were uh, well-versed in uh, astrology and uh, history and politics, they recognized that something in the sky that was new meant the king of the Jews was born. And so they saddle up their camels and whatever other beasts of burden that they uh, could grab, uh, set off in this entourage, this, this envoy, this caravan, um, and enter Jerusalem looking not like the locals, um, park their camels out front of Herod's palace, uh, are welcomed in and alert him that they're here to pay homage to the new king. And he says, what are you talking about? They're like, well, we saw his star. This is obviously what it means. Here's our documents. Here's our, our training. We know what this star means, and we've come a long way to uh, pay homage. And this greatly troubled Herod. Herod, the um, very, very rough leader of the time. Um, he had a reputation even then and is well-deserved throughout history as a, a tyrant. He essentially put to death anybody who he thought was a potential rival to his throne, including many of his own family members. And so on hearing that there was indeed a rival to his throne that was born and uh, even heralded by a star and that was bringing people in search of him, he was very, very troubled. And Jerusalem, the Bible says, was also troubled with him, probably because all of Jerusalem knew what Herod was like and knew what this meant for whoever was the potential upstart and rival. And so... Herod sends the wise men on their way after discerning that the king of the Jews that they were looking for was supposed to be born in Bethlehem. And he instructs them, once you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him, venerate him too, pay homage. The wise men didn't know, obviously, Herod's uh, reputation or what he uh, was you know, planning to do, even though I'm sure most of his court did. And so it took God warning them in a dream to send them home a different way and not go back to Herod after they had found Jesus. So this story is just, it's full of crazy, crazy happenstances, um, details, things that we would never imagine had they not played out in history, in reality. And we have heard this story many times if you grew up in the church and it may seem a little old hat now. It may seem like uh, this is just sort of the, the last story to tell before we're finally done with Christmas and we pack up our decorations and move on with the new year. But this story is really the beginning. It's, it's a hinge point in our calendar. It is sort of the, the end of the Christmas season and the beginning of a new chapter in the liturgical life of the church, but it is on its own a remarkable story, and it's a story that still speaks today. It's not old hat. 
It's not irrelevant. It is imminently relevant. It's perennially relevant. It speaks of the powers that be, secure in their own existence until something challenges it and then reacting in a negative way. Today, January 6th, 2021, in American politics, we have seen this exact thing. The power structures are trembling and quaking because of perceived threats. People are on the verge of losing their minds in this country, it seems like. We are going to always see this story played out over and over and over. It has been played out through history among rulers and kingdoms and empires across the globe. It doesn't matter at what scale, whether it's the nation or the state or a corporation or a school or even a family. Those who perceive that their power is in danger will react negatively. It's our job as Christians to be the wise men and not Herod or his court or those troubled in Jerusalem this night. There are two different avenues for us to take. We can be troubled with Herod or we can be eager to find God like the wise men. Now, the wise men weren't expecting God in the flesh, most likely. But what they found was God in the flesh. And what they were doing was seeking diligently someone who they knew deserved their reverence. And even though they weren't seeking God, they were seeking to pay homage. This is the the high cardinal virtue of justice. Uh, the, the, The way that we as people as individuals render justice. We don't have to be a judge or in, um, in law or in law enforcement to render justice in the world. All we have to do to render justice, to attain the virtue of justice, is to give that which is due to everyone around us. To our parents who gave birth to us, fed us for many, many years and raised us, we do justice by paying them honor and taking care of them as they age. To our friends, we do them justice by returning their friendship. To the state, we pay it justice by paying our taxes and abiding by the laws uh, that are set over us. To God, we do justice by giving him our reverence and our worship. The wise men were full of the virtue of justice, and they were setting out to pay homage to a king who deserved their homage. And what they found, praise God, in just seeking to do justice, was their creator in the form of a little baby. By this point, maybe closer to a a two-year-old, who knows? But that is what we do when we set our hearts on the things that we ought to be focused on and not on guarding whatever power structure that we feel most comfortable in. 
In fact, the only safe thing for us to do as people, as Christians, is to give up what we have, to give and not to hold on. Those holding on chose the wrong path. Those giving, those seeking to do justice and honor and, and veneration, to pay homage, those were the ones who found God, and those are the ones who we celebrate tonight. No one is gathering in honor of King Herod 2,000 years after his death, but we are gathering in honor of the Magi, whose names by tradition have been passed down as Melchior, Balthazar, and Caspar. If those were their names, wonderful. If not, well, at least we have tried to remember their names and it was important enough for us to, to try to hold on to them. Why? Because in them we see our example. We, as human beings, are only whole if we are giving up ourselves in honor and veneration to our God and maker. How do we return in a just way, something to God who gives us our very existence. We give of ourselves. We hand our existence back over to him. In fact, it's the only thing that we can give God that he doesn't already have of his self, of his, of his own. Our hearts, our very selves, are the one thing that we can give God that God doesn't already have. The wise men gave him gold and frankincense and myrrh. But God made all the gold in the world. He made the stars that when they collapse in supernova, um, form the elements, gold and iron and, and silver and everything else. God doesn't need gold from us. They gave him frankincense, that is incense. Well, that's, that's uh, dried tree sap. The, you know, resin that they, that they burn and it smells good. Well, God made the trees in the first place. They gave him myrrh, this um, ointment, this perfume that is uh, used on, on the bodies of uh, the deceased in order to prepare them. Well, God made everything in that perfume. But what did they really give him? They gave him homage. And those gifts represent... And this is tradition that goes back centuries in the church, all the way into the early first millennium. Those gifts represent things that they were giving him of themselves. The gold represents the honor that they give him as their king. The frankincense represents the incense that is due God himself. We don't burn incense. We don't... Um, bless and, and offer incense to anyone but God, God himself. He's the only one who gets incense from us. And myrrh they gave to him in recognition of his fleshly body, that God had become a man and was destined to die for us, for our sins. So gold for a king, incense for God, and myrrh in preparation for his death. These gifts are just reflections of the honor that we give God for who he is. So this night, when we can choose two different avenues, either to be troubled with Herod or to give of ourselves with the Magi, Christians have one choice and one choice only, 
that is pleasing and acceptable to God, and that is to follow with the wise men, to join their caravan in searching after God and in finding him to give of him our very selves. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Amen. Talks at Advent. Homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.